This is CliffCentral.com. Is present and Jonathan, I just have like one question for you. Yes, Ramon. are you tired of winning yet? I am so tired of winning, Ramon. I'm so so tired. I just I can't believe how much winning there is. God, Emperor Trump has done it again. I, I never knew there would be this much winning, actually. So, I mean, for those who don't know, so 3.7% unemployment rate, the lowest since 1969. Yeah, it, it basically, every time they release a stat, they basically have to go back like 10 years further to see how low. It was. It's pretty soon. It's just going to be the lowest ever, essentially. I think so. And I still, do you know why? Because he's done tax reforms, but like, what? What do you think is the reason? I, I think I think people have confidence in the way he he runs the market. I think that uh, it's very underreported. But the deregulation of things. Um, has allowed business to flourish. Oh, that's true. That executive order. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 thing is, is there is some truth to the fact that the president doesn't have ultimate control over the economy. In fact, there's a lot of truth to that. Sure. Um, which is why people want to still credit Obama with these things, for example. Uh, but certainly, he's come in with a. Uh, far more open free market view. The people he has around him have free market views to the way they do things. And the only thing that hasn't really been very free market uh, has been the, the trade war stuff. Yeah. But other than that, business likes the, the, the way he's, he's, he's gone about things and the way the people he's appointed have gone about things. Yeah, there's just a lot of confidence in his abilities or, or the administration's abilities. Or the fact that government won't get in the way. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's not even that it's Trump. It's that this guy doesn't seem to want to interfere with the way we do business. And so, cool, I'm going to hire more people. I'm going to expand my business. I'm going to invest more, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really what you're seeing across pretty much all the indicators in the U.S., whether it's jobs, whether it's a stock market, whether it's um, um, company growth uh, or consumer uh, um, indexes uh, and confidence. All of that stuff seems to be seems to be on that. Yeah, I mean, the one the one trick he is missing, though, is that uh, he must do away with the requirement of experience to get jobs because I thought that was uh, an excellent um uh, piece of policy at this at this job summit, you know, which is going to create three hundred thousand jobs a year just by agreement. Mm. Uh, and one of the considerations is, you know, people actually don't need experience to get uh, a job. It's I don't know, it's a colonial construct that needs to be done away with. And I think if Donald Trump adopts that, unemployment will be record lows since like eighteen fifty two. Yeah, I, I think I mean it's just this the, the whole. Bring you back to our side of the world. Uh, the, uh, the whole job summit is just a—it's—it's it's a terrible idea in itself because the the notion that you can get into a room and you can decide on any strategy really that is other than we're going to allow businesses and private individuals to make agreements between each other and that will cause growth in the economy. Other than that, there is no other strategy to creating jobs. You don't actually even create jobs. Jobs it's not a, it's not a thing. No, no. I you can't. I mean you can create jobs by, you know, allowing road workers to dig holes with spoons. Sure. You and know? and you can you can have an inefficient public health system for example where you employ 
people and we have three million public servants in this country. So those are jobs created by the government. But if those jobs were managed by Discovery Health, for example, that probably shrink down to a third of that. I would, I would at best. Yeah, but if you have a job summit and five commies in the front are the reasons why we're in a recession, and you need them to create jobs, and you need unions to come in and join the job summit to create jobs. I mean, what are these people thinking? It's it's, it's and remark. It's a remarkable blind spot. And let, let's be honest, unions are probably the single greatest reason why we have a job problem and an employment problem in the in the country. You can blame the government, the, the shit education system, the tripartite alliance, the fact that commies control the finance and trade and industry. The labor laws, which were the union the state, the state, influence. The state enterprises. But I mean, yeah, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so we need more Trump, less bullshit. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have much more bullshit. <laughs> and you wanted to just hit on the EFF, uh, basically chasing everything they possibly can find every time the smallest whiff of, I suppose, racism. Right. I mean, what's what, this idea is in my head, and I guess he's more than welcome to join us on this. Um, so our guest is Ian Cameron, who does something at AfriForum. I'm still not too sure yeah, why. You see, that's the, 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 the consummate professionalism you've come to expect from the Renegade Report. He does something. Something doer at AfriForum, Ian Cameron. <laughs> Is that <laughs> yeah, you, you could say something. It, it's quite a few some things that, that we're responsible for. So, so I'm the head of community safety at Afri Forum, and uh, my team is responsible for creating community safety structures across the country. Um, across the board, we also then have a trauma team that's involved in victim support. Right, so you're creating a parallel state, which as an anarchist I fully agree with. Uh, I'm joking, you're not creating a parallel state. <laughs> oh, who said but, that? <laughs> <laughs> that's the accusations against you. And I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's, I think that's a meritorious thing to do. But I want your opinion. So the EFF was at um, Kings William, some shithole, I don't know, King Williamstown or something or other. And they physically barge into businesses, demand to see the owners, and then accuse them of racism for paying workers too low or... Was this before or after they decided Sasha Martinengo was a racist for using the, the we're not allowed to say it anymore, the M word? Uh, yes. I think it's, it's at the same time. Oh. But they just barge into like, like fast food joints. Or, or just after Malema shot seven rounds <laughs> with an AR into the air. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the EFF, uh, on this witch hunt where they barge into businesses, demand to see the manager under duress, and then, and then they say, well, our demands are this. And then the manager is like, well, I'm just employed here. I don't know anything. Um, and if they don't, if the demands are not met, and it's often demands around pay of the employees and shit like that, if the demands are met, they literally like trash the store and force it to close down. And my question is to Jonathan and Ian, isn't it a bit strange to have this sort of, you know, witch trials of 2018 where we decide who should be paid what in private businesses? Well, isn't that what the mafia did in uh, the U.S.? But where will this lead to, right? I mean, it's not a good thing for anyone. It's not going to – I don't I don't think it will change anytime soon at the rate that it's going now. It's It's growing across the country. We can just see on our side – the amount of times, for example, let's take land grabs. You go to a certain place, you just rock up there, regardless of who the landowner is. You say you're taking the land, regardless of of any form of law. The cops can come and warn you. They just stay. There's just an, a, a total arrogance of this extremist type of approach. And uh, it's funny that they want all the benefits of capitalism or a free market, but they're not willing to work for it. Yeah, it's, it's a sort of white supremacy argument in a way because – um, they, they keep saying, you know, whites must share, whites must share. 
uh, instead of let's create our own and compete against you. Even though business is not like race race based by any means, but it's it's this, it's this weird, very weird victimhood complex where um, we're not going to you know create our own networks and you know buy our own land or do something like that. It's a it's always a I must take what others have, and that doesn't lead to any sort of joy for anyone. I mean, we also got a situation where the incentives have been set up like that. So. You, know, you talking about people coming and land grabbing and the cops come and warn them. I mean, that sounds insane to me. I, if someone came onto my property, firstly, it's trespassing. So um, if I consider them a threat to me, I should be able to do more than just warn them. Um, and, and second thing is, okay, they've come onto the property. They're not kind of doing anything specific, but they're on my property. Uh, I would think if I call the cops, the cops would arrive and remove them. That would be the obvious kind and, of thing. And, and, and that is the, the logical thing to – Well, to not do. only the logical. Surely that's the legal like in the law. But here we have a situation where that's not what happens. So why wouldn't you invade someone's land? Because, well, no consequence. It's like – uh, you know, crime, we talk about often we must get into crime with you because it's part of what you deal with. And, and where's the consequence for a lot of crime that happens? We, we hear, you know, we, we all know about high profile cases, uh, because we, I suppose the person is known often. So let's use this dross rapist as an example. They know who the guy is. Uh, there seems to be some video evidence and, and certainly it, it seems to be pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, he's an alleged rapist at this stage, but it seems to be pretty obvious that he is a rapist and he's going to be convicted, hopefully, um, and sent to prison for a long time. And I suppose people want to see that the justice system works at some level, but 20,000, 21,000 people are being killed a, a, a year. Is that about correct? Yeah. And, and, um, I'm not sure of the 21,000 homicides, how many we're solving. Uh, if I had to take a, a giant guess at that, I'd say probably less than 15%. Uh, it's even less. Let me, let me just give you some insight. It's yeah, actually shocking. It. It's not, it's, and it, it's not positive to you. Um, I, I wrote an article about two weeks ago where I compared prosecution figures to uh, arrest figures. Okay, so the cops in the last financial year was about let's say let's say twenty one thousand as a as a max between twenty mm. and twenty one thousand yeah, murders in a year. For the past six, seven, eight years, there have only been about three thousand successful convictions for, through the National Prosecuting Authority for murder. Okay, per year. Per year. So. Uh, obviously, some of these murders are, are old murders. Um, if you know what I mean, they, they could have been committed a few years ago. Mm. And but it the, takes time to go to court and all that. Exactly. But mm. the fact of the matter is the murder rate for the past seven years has increased with a 1,000 murders per year for the past seven years. So it literally went 16, 17, 18,000, 19,000, and it increased like that annually. And with that, we're not seeing an increase in prosecution rates. So the prosecution rate is still drastically lower sure. than than the murder rate. So, is so it flat. It's it's flat. It's, it's I mean, it's if, pretty flat. If, and that's murder. I would imagine rape is no different story. Or even uh, worse. Gr- even gr- worse. Grievous bodily uh, assault, uh, harm, it, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Those crimes, hijackings, armed robberies. So, frankly, uh, if you want to do anything in this country, whether it's from land grab right down to murder to rape to whatever. What should stop you, really? What, other than if you're a person who has a conscience and goes, well, that seems to be wrong because my parents told me that. But let's say you didn't have parents, specifically a father figure in the house, and you were never really taught these things and how to be a real man. Um, well, what's to stop you? Because your chance of being caught actually seems to be slim as hell. Exactly. Um, 
I, I had a discussion a, a few years ago at a, a specifically at a at a murder scene with a with a, um, a cameraman from a from mm. a specific media institution, and I've known him for years. It's a black guy, awesome friend of mine, and uh, and we've spent a lot of time together on these scenes. But what I noticed of him, and and for his sake, I'm not going to mention his name now. Um, but what I noticed, and we were having lunch afterwards, I said to him, "Yes." Why do you not ever look bothered? You just like go for lunch afterwards and it's all good. And he said, no, it, it does bother me. He says, but I've been exposed to so much. Since, obviously, this was a long conversation, but the, the fact was he's been exposed to so much for such a long time. And um, and he says that he saw his first necklacing when he was 11 years old. So if you are exposed to that type of violence at a young age and it constantly happens – Obviously, you're going to have a, a, a pretty bad backlash psychologically than, than the average or what we call average person would. So there's a massive um, ethical, moral problem with the way violence is committed in South Africa. And, and we've become desensitized to a lot of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, hugely. Absolutely. No, hugely. I mean, 106 rapes a day. A day. And in, in America, they focused on a purported sexual assault from 36 years ago that may or may not have happened and, and that and, dominates and, the news. And that, those 106 a day are only the ones that, the cases that get opened, okay? Right. So they say only about 30% gets reported, um, if, if mm. not less. So there's over 300 rapes mm. a day. But, exactly. Perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. So quite horrific. And about desensitization, I mean, that's absolutely spot on. I think, I think all South Africans are somewhat desensitized. We actually had a discussion in our Facebook group not too long ago, an American uh, listener who sort of said, look, you know, I hear a lot of stories and kind of how bad is it? And it's always difficult how you frame that because as South Africans, I mean, we live okay lives and we'll go home tonight, hopefully, um, you know, but chances are quite good. We'll get home and nothing will be wrong and, and we'll have a good night and we'll eat some dinner and all the rest of it. Um, and, but if you tell an American, for example, that, yes, but on my way home, I will be checking my rearview mirror just to check I'm not being followed. And when I drive into my driveway, I won't like turn into my driveway. I'll wait because you know, then I can always drive away if someone comes at me with a gun. And uh, once I'm inside, I'll, I don't know, there'll be an electric fence maybe, or there's barbed wire. There's maybe CCTV cameras if you have that kind of setup, or um, there's an armed security service. And I've got beams all over my house, similar to kind of what the White House has, because most houses in the United States don't have, the, our security systems are actually very advanced. Um, world class. Yeah, they, we actually inform the world on security for a lot of these things. So um, then they start going, wow, that's, like mad. Um, so we are quite desensitized. Uh, you know, I obviously see a lot of the effects of violence from the medical side of things. And you are, you're completely sort of, des I mean, we, we see gunshots and we're like, yeah, gunshot, you know, stabbing, yeah, stabbing, you know, it's not, there's no real, there's, you don't really get a sense of it. The, the only day I really, um, you know, sort of remember a lot and I don't work much in the trauma units anymore, but uh, is uh, Valentine's Day is quite a, a terrible day to work in a trauma unit because um, you just the, the I don't know why it is Valentine's Day doesn't for some people seem to be treat uh, each other with respect and love it seems to be literally beat and rape um, your partner domestic and violence the day. domestic violence is unbelievable on that mm. day and it's it's really quite uh, quite disheartening but we are definitely um, desensitized to this so let's talk about that because some of the violence we've seen on farms is you know i mean we talk you know shooting a stabbing all of these things are quite uh, most people think wow that's that's pretty rough you know if they hear that happens to someone they know they they think that's hectic but 
you know, if you read Ernst's book, if you uh, if you look at some of the stuff you you, you put up on on social media, there really is mad <laughs> mad stuff that goes on on the farms. Tell us a bit about it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I always saw it as bad. Um, I've been working for Afri Forum, uh, for, for eight years now. And there's, there's obviously been a, a, a lot of times where you, you kind of, as we said just now, we get desensitized and you kind of get into the rhythm of things. And, uh, what, 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 what changed my way of looking at it in about, I think it was 2015, I visited a murder scene of, um, Johan Eckhart. He's a elderly man in his seventies. Uh, he was, he was tortured for nine hours. When we got to the scene, uh, after the, the body had been removed, uh, his nail marks were stuck in the carpets, or, you know, from him being dragged through the house. So nine hours of torture. You're an elderly man. You can't even walk properly anymore and you get tortured that way. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, changed something in the way that I saw this this crime not that I I previously said yeah it's 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 not bad uh, it just suddenly put a human side to it where when I saw those marks in the carpet I realized how how desperate this person was to stay alive and and that's quite and terrified exactly it, it it's quite normal it's it's shocking to say but you very often see this. I, I was speaking to a, a, a daughter-in-law of, of two victims who were murdered on Mother's Day of this year, the 13th of May. And um, Fanny and Colleen Engelbrecht are the, are the two victims that, that were murdered. Also elderly people. The lady had just received a hip replacement. She couldn't walk properly. And the morning, the Sunday morning, uh, the husband was going to church. And he locked inside the house. He threw the keys through the gate for her. If she were to, to get up, um, it, it's quite a struggle. So he, he threw the keys down the hallway. Long story short, um, they were attacked very badly hurt. I can go through the whole thing, but it, it's bad. And the point is once again got to the scene and, um, I, I took a photo of his shoes that they had, you know, it, it was so precise. It's as though these attackers came in. It was an absolute bloodbath. They took his shoes off, removed the laces to tie him up with, and they perfectly, very neatly packed the shoes next to the table where his dead body would be found later on. And I took a photo of these shoes so nicely, you know, uh, packed away. And it just made me realize that the way these things are committed is is completely without any form of of humanity behind it. There's no there's no compassion of 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 any sort. It's a it's a complete disregard for something. And, and the last one that I feel is appropriate to share was, you know, a lot of people think that people that get killed on farms are rich or are very well off. And you know, you know, I've uh, there was with respect only only by people who. Never been on a farm before. Exactly. Uh, the, the sociology professor in Parktown North thinks farmers are rich, but if you actually grew up or lived on a farm, these people are, are not rich at all. Peter de Toy also thinks that um, I must mention. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention his name just uh, just to make it. Yeah, clear. You, useful um, idiots are yeah, useful. Yeah. So so to 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 make it clear, um, the the last one I'd like to tell was was a was a specific uh, lady. I, I can't actually. It's sad. I can't remember her name. Um, uh, about a year or two ago, she was murdered on a farm close to Hartbeesburg area northwest, and um, 
the thing that, that stuck with me once again about the repercussions that this leaves is when walked into the scene, her body was lying uh, down the hallway. Uh, the, uh, the sweet papers, and um, these people have literally nothing. There's no curtains in the windows. They put cardboard boxes there in winter to, to warm the house. Um, and she bakes cook sisters and cookies to sell next to the road for her children to be able to go to school. That's how she pays school fees. And um, when I walked through there, the only positive thing that you could see in that house is that she hid sweets for her kids and that every now and then throughout the house it'd be little sweet papers that her kids had unwrapped, you know, the uh, the sweets there and, and eaten them. And that picture stuck with me uh, just about about something that it was a completely innocent person putting so much in to do something, even though it's just through that sweet that she gives to her kids on a on a daily basis to to at least share something nice with them. And then this horrible atrocity happens and there was nothing to take. There is absolutely nothing to steal. And um and and she was hurt in the way that she was. Yeah, no, it's a for, it's a form of dehumanization. It's the first. I, I can't remember who said it. The first, the first law of, to, of something is to dehumanize. To genocide. De, well, it was a genocide. Yeah. We're not, okay, we're not arguing that that genocide's happening. But it's the first law of of ethnic cleansing. Like yeah. you dehumanize the victim, opponents yeah. or the victims, and we're not arguing for ethnic cleansing either. We're just saying it's a law. Mm-hmm. But in, I mean, let's go right from the beginning. So, what do you do at Afri Forum? Um, just give a basic overview and then just give us a, a, a view of the process. You get a call. There's been a farm murder. What happens after that? Okay. So, so let me start about what we do at, at Afri Forum. About, about four or five years ago, we obviously, everyone sees the need for something new, something that can help in, in crime. So, um, or, or to combat crime. And so and we just for context, the, the, the policing services that had traditionally been in place to assist with that had been broken up a few years prior. Am exactly. I, am I so, so to give you background, um, the commandos were, were disbanded, um, which was basically a civilian military service uh, than it was part of the state. They were disbanded in 2003 and nothing had, has ever been put back into place to replace that. And not that that was the be all and end all. Some of our worst farm attack and murder statistics were during the commando times, but it at least gave the community some form of statutory power to do something about the problem. So, um, so what we did, we started uh, forming community safety structures across the country, a lot like neighborhood watches and so on, but the fact that we started building this national network started giving people a little bit more power in in doing collective service. So, for example, remember the Wifferfall crisis at the beginning of 2018, where the school was being, you know, ransacked by by protesters. I liked how you called it earlier the the commie way of of thinking. You know, there there were there were literally thousands of people protesting at the school for yeah. for nonsense. ANC and EFF. And to give context, the school refused to take in more pupils exactly because they said they didn't have space. And yeah. Panyaza Lusufi wanted to force them to change the language policy literally overnight. And uh, he threatened to expel the school principal. And on affidavit, the school went to the high court and prevented him from yeah. from doing so. Um, and they were called racist for not accepting, I believe it was five black pupils. Yeah. Despite being at capacity and despite 
not being able to change the language overnight. And already having several black students in the school. So yeah. there was no form of resonance. So, so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that through that, we were able to, through community safety structures, protect that school for two weeks um, and walked out on the other side with a stronger school, more motivated. Those kids were able to go to school regardless of the threat on the outside. And it, it, was, it was because of a community taking responsibility to, to safeguard something. And, and we had, just by the way, great cooperation with the police. But the fact of the matter is the police weren't able to handle it on their own as we wouldn't have been to, uh, you know, able to handle it on our own. Uh, so we started building community safety structures. We then took it even further. Um, a part of the team is a, is a complete unit of people who can assist in certain parts of an investigation, whether it's to, to find people, missing people, to find suspects, to assist in the investigation, uh, through taking statements, through, through coaching, um, not, not coaching, but let's call it coaching for the sake of this, this, uh, talk, uh, to help people through the court process, to share with that victim, if, if you are, are hurt in a farm attack, for example, I can assist you in, in understanding what's going to happen next. Um, how do you handle this? How do you go to a, uh, identification parade at the, at the police station? So all of these types of things have been built in and, and through this discussion, we can, we can talk more. When it comes to the, to the actual attack or some form of a serious or violent crime that happens, we very often get contacted by the police themselves uh, on ground level. We've got great relationships with a lot of the units. They just simply do not have the resources that they're meant to have. So a lot of them do try very hard. They just do not get the support they, they need. And we can even talk about that. I can tell you more about the, the training of the police that's in shambles. But So that's that side. Or we get called by the community. We then have people across the country. We've got 7,500 um, uh, people that have been trained and that are registered inside our structures to be able to operate uh, in, in cr crime scenarios and to assist and also patrol in their communities. And, uh, and all of this has, has built a, a machine in, in the country that, that can help to combat crime. Yeah, because, because if I understand correctly, what you sort of start with is one neighborhood watch. You know, the simple two guys get together and drive around in their car. Exactly. Um, and then you go, well, maybe another car would work. So you have now four guys driving around in their cars. And then you go, but they need to talk to each other. So you give them radios. And then you duplicate that in another place, in another place, another place. And then you go, well, they need to all be talking to someone so that someone can tell them what's happening. So that creates a control room. And so when you have, well, how many do you have now if you can divulge that type of information? We, we've got about 100 and, 130 across the country. Communities doing these, yeah. these sort of part of the security yeah. project. And they are all able to communicate with each other nationally. So every single day we communicate with all our structures across the country uh, uh, and and it's at the, at the push of a button. So we're even without cell phones, uh, we've got a national network of radios that mm. works in the same way. I mean, g given the – obviously it takes money and effort and, and, and volunteerism to, to build these kinds of things. But given the, the high levels of crime in the country across – Everywhere, you know, that's one of the common things said about, uh, about Afri Forum. Oh, why do you care about farm murders? Crime is so high. And we've repeatedly explained on the show why farm murders matter. Um, but, but, you know, this is a model that sounds like it should be something that communities everywhere should, should try and replicate as yeah. far as they can. Let me, let me tell you a, a, a really awesome story and I, and I think something that can change the crime landscape in South Africa. A few years ago, we had a, we had a problem. There was a, 
It's actually a horrible story. Uh, uh, there was a serious drug problem in, in Elliot in the Eastern Cape. And, uh, the farmers approached us after two murders that had happened in the, the region on farms as well. And then there's this massive drug and murder issue in the, in the township areas around the town. And, uh, they approached us and said, can we somehow assist them in, um, in forming a, a farm watch and a neighborhood watch? And we said, great, we're coming down. We'll, we'll come and, and visit them. And the night when the first training had to occur for what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do, there's, there's certain training procedures that need to uh, be be done. Uh, the taxi association called and said, are they allowed to join? And, you know, stereotypically, my first reaction was to laugh. I thought, you know, I'm used to Joburg taxis that just don't give a damn about any form of rule of law or anything like that. And uh, we we said, sure, come and join us. And, you know, that night there were more taxi drivers there than farmers. Uh, and it ended up being an Afri Forum meeting in Corsa. And, uh, we, we spent an awesome evening together. You racist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, you know, that just confirms how racist <laughs> they are. And, um, you know, we, we, we spent the, about two weeks training everyone and it became such a healthy structure that that stock theft in the area decreased by over 90 percent uh within within a month or two and uh the the challenge that we got a year later was because of corrupt corrupt policemen they started uh victimizing some of the members of this farm watch and uh regardless the the point is just that type of cooperation when you see farmers in their khaki shirts driving a patrol in a in a taxi in a township and then you see the taxis driving with their taxis on the farms and they all communicate on the same radio network kind of changes the the whole dynamic and and people were shocked i mean here's a taxi with an afri forum uh, uh signage on the <laughs> on the door and those taxi guys are, are paying members of afri forum so you know it, it if we start changing the way we look at combating crime we can definitely change what's happening. So, so in terms of that, is that still going on in Elliot? It, it, at the moment it is, but it's slowed down a lot because of the corrupt police side. Uh, so we've had a lot of challenges with it. The interesting thing is that story spread and somehow got to Soweto. So we've now been approached by an organization called SA United Against Crime. Uh, they actually focus on patrolling in Hillbrow and then also in parts of Soweto, uh, mostly foot patrols. And they've now asked us if we can start training them. So we've already completed a, a session of training with them in Soweto and uh, obviously uh, they've received a lot of criticism inside Soweto for, for doing this but the interesting part is almost everyone that patrols for them are ex-drug addicts, they're junkies and they clean now and they've started this program to get these guys healthy so we've taken hands with them and uh, we we are trying to see how we can in Gauteng get this taxi model rolling again. So obviously it takes time. Though. Because just explain, um, or first of all, so you're creating these these structures that should actually be done by the state. If if one would, I mean, if you believe the state is competent and and godly, which I don't, of course. But what is the uh, reaction that you get if you deal with? Police officers um, at crime scenes, or if they're aware of your network, do they? Are you like part of them? Do they try to assist you, or is there a bit of antagonism, or does it depend on on the geography or the area? It, the geography does play a role, but in the majority of cases with serious and violent crime, the 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 officials that react to those crimes or that work on the investigations 
are, are, are very, very welcoming when it comes to assistance. So, uh, on station level, we often have this antagonizing kind of approach, you know, uh, you know, a very political approach as well, sadly enough. Uh, but I think it, you can expect that. But from a, from a more specialized unit side, we do get a lot of support from them and, and, it's amazing to see how how willing they are to even approach us themselves for for help. So, you know, we uh, for the, for the sake of not exposing them, but there are a lot of crime intelligence units that that work through us. We do almost all of their uh, you know specific tasks when it comes to finding suspects in certain areas where they know we've got strong structures. Give you instructions. Yeah. Because, because I suspect they have little resources or they've got no, no, uh, support on their side. To, Let, to do let's look at do. their training. So to give sure. you an idea, our wonderful minister of police, Becky Tele, um, you know, I, you know, he's this very charismatic guy, but according to me, he's absolutely useless. Um, and Tele was one of the big reasons that the police looks the way it does now. If we go look at the police training when he was the national commissioner just before the, the World Cup, the soccer World Cup, uh, we had a, a case where, where Tele, you know, you usually get two remedials if you fail your exam at the police college. He gave some of them four remedials, and even though they failed, he still gave them uniforms. He removed basic modules from tactical training in the police, for example, tactical use and, and radio communication, uh, tactical use of a shotgun, those types of things. So that's why you then see police officer, uh, officers by mistake shooting and killing their partners is because they're not trained properly. So it's not that a lot of the – officials don't want to help they don't know how to help you mm. and that's the danger now that's why we see an increase in 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 police officials getting killed every year he also militarized the police he also took it back from being a service to a force and but that also might have an advantage um, it, it can if it's done properly if you're using the military right. aspect for discipline then I, I think i would agree with that but if the if the military action becomes a way to separate yourself to give you a sort of step up on the civilians i am sergeant i am colonel do you know who i am type of thing that's when that kind of becomes dangerous you're right it shouldn't be a status symbol so it shouldn't be used to um they they the status that they have shouldn't uh, to, shouldn't be used to abuse uh, the public and unfortunately he started creating that impression so he started saying shoot to kill which was good for the morale in the police because a lot of officials started feeling wow I'm, I'm actually getting supported by a national commissioner but now you've got guys that don't have the training they start shooting the wrong people and they start acting in the wrong way and it's got this chain reaction of, of bad things happening the police currently only have one clinical psychologist left in the entire police service uh, in the for, country for 150 policemen exactly. police officers Sorry. so so it's it's really a, a it's it's tragic uh, what's left of of the basic human resource support that you need to give to your your people um regarding training it's it's not good uh, there's, there's according to me it's not very positive uh, if we look at the way they're being trained uh, it's definitely not the same quality than it even was about five or ten years ago, and that standard is decreasing. And, and just the, the volition of the police generally that you speak to, um, I mean, are they – how can I explain it? It's difficult because on the one hand, I understand they are despondent, they have no resources, they are not well-trained. On the other, is there practically parasites 
they become policemen and they just take the salary and just don't care. Obviously, there's a spectrum. A lot, a lot. And that comes from the tele time because you put people in uniforms just for the sake of having enough officials during the Soccer World Cup. So he, it, it just became this machine of producing blue uniforms. And now it's become a, a thing where people just go and they, they get a salary at the end of each month. They get a, uh, you know, they get covered by medical aid and so on, but they don't actually work for it. There's no, there's no calling for them to be involved with the police. And obviously, you know, to be an effective police, official you need to see the calling in doing that job oh yes because yeah to not to put a too light uh, uh thing on it but at the end of the day you have to you have to put yourself in danger uh, or that's what being you know policemen uh, firefighters uh, but all in, these in, even in public service like a teacher it's a calling you know that pay is not great but you have this 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 wish You're to, there to serve educate yeah. educate people well, yeah. yeah and what you do ultimately um, you know, if all of you do it together properly, so uh, teach, take a teacher. If it, all, every teacher has that kind of attitude towards teaching, you raise an entire generation and the success of an entire country can depend on you as a teacher. Um, and so, I mean, policing is, is no different. Uh, you know, the safety of an entire country depends on you if you do your job properly or not. But I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds as if, you know, when police are being called to whatever it happens to be, I mean, I would imagine a lot of them justifiably are crapping themselves because they're driving to scene of a shooting, say, in progress, mm. and they're thinking to myself, I don't know what to do. Yep. Um, there's a report that we released with the Institute for Race Relations about a year or two ago. Uh, Dr. Franz Cornier and I actually released the report together. Um, the specific report is called Winning the War on Crime, and that report actually has evidence in it from police in the Western Cape that year a shooting going on, a gang shooting usually going on, for example, in the Cape Flats or Mitchell's Plain area, and they hear this happening and they actually would say in front of the, the researcher or one of the journalists that worked on the report, listen, we're going to wait five or ten minutes just for the, the shooting to pass before we react. So it's – and it these aren't bad guys. These are guys that want to help, but they are scared of putting themselves at danger. They are scared that the state will throw them under the bus if they do act and they end up winning the fight because there's this false sense and it, it's kind of this uh, sorry to say it but this Huffington Post kind of approach where as soon as a police official acts within the legal framework to protect other people the criminal is suddenly the victim uh, you know and, and there's this type of mentality that's grown in the police mm. where they are scared to act because they don't get the support that they need I think I think that's been a long time coming. I want to talk about media just now, but I think um you know, I even can remember pretty much twenty years back when when the minute exactly as you're describing, the minute the perpetrator becomes a victim somehow, the minute they were shot by police or um the police arrested them but the the takedown was a little bit hard or whatever, the story doesn't become about the crime that they were being taken down for, um, which Yes, it's alleged and innocent until proven guilty, but they were literally disarmed <laughs> from mm. pointing a gun at someone. Mm. So something was going on. Um, the story becomes about them and then the story becomes about them as a victim. And I think we hit sort of peak, um, uh, this kind of feeling about the police doing their job, um, and the crossover between police brutality, uh, with Marikana because yeah, there, there is, there is no, um, 
sort of middle ground discussion on marijuana at all. I, I, I mean, I'm not denying that uh, people were likely murdered by police at Marikana, um and pretty much execution style killed. I think there's good forensic evidence for that. Uh, but I also remember seeing video on EWN's website or 702, whatever it was at the time, um, which I think has since been removed, but of people running at police with pangas. And it was like, you know, tens of men. So, so the, the discussion, we can't have the discussion anymore. And I think whatever the police do with regards, if, if they, if they wield any violence, and we need to remember that according to the law, the police are meant to have a monopoly on violence. That's kind of the state gets to have that and then they delegate that to the police. Exactly. And, um, but anytime they use violence, they're seen to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's come to a point I, about about a month ago, I spent time in the Western Cape in one of the very bad gang-ridden areas. And I was speaking to a senior police official that's involved with combating gang violence. And uh, we were having coffee. We off, Every few times a year we meet and just chat a little bit. And uh, what he said to me, it's, it's easier for him to now negotiate a, a standstill, a shooting standstill between the gangs than what it is to act against them because he doesn't have the resources uh, for it. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the fact is just that, you know, it, the criminals have the overhand. They're becoming career criminals in what they do. They know that the, that the prosecuting authority don't have the capacity or even the political will to, to mm. stop them. Not just criminals, they criminal politicians as well. They've, well, exactly. They've, they've worked out the politics of the scenario. Exactly. So, so back to this, the safety network. So on, on the ground, I mean, do you have people that are, are armed uh, with, uh, I don't know, semi-automatic pistols and rifles? Do you have – what sort of resources do these people have? And what are they – what duties or, you know, what functions do they actually do as part of this network? Well, let's say the basic function is that it's very important that they – we always say they need to dominate the area. So by by, by saying that, they need to be very uh, – um, people need to be able to see them. So they need to be very visible. Uh, they need to – uh, be able to know that there's a, a strong community safety structure in the area. Uh, so we, we focus a lot on visibility, lights, patrols in the area, whether it's foot patrols or vehicles, regardless that people need to know that they are there. We immediately then see a decrease in crime. We also then have systems that can, through algorithms with, with crimes as they are reported locally, we can start predicting, uh, in, in certain localities where the next crime might happen. And so we adapt our patrols according to that in some areas. And, and for that reason, we start pushing crime out of complete regions. Um, a lot of them are armed, uh, but they've got no extra rights when it comes to being armed. It's in their private capacity. We obviously have a lot of uh, legal uh, requirements that they need to fit into because obviously it's not only a risk to them but also to Afri Forum. Sure. So we need to make sure that's in place. And we focus a lot on the legalities when it comes to that. So, so are these private citizens who just tap into the system as in the it's for lack of a better word, independent contractors. Like they're not employed. You don't employ they them. They don't get paid. Uh, okay. These are volunteers that say I'm taking ownership for the problem in my community. But this is a has a major risk, and this isn't to scare people off. But one of my guys was shot with an AK uh, six weeks ago, and uh, he actually got released from hospital today. He was in Mill Park for 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 six weeks. The right and, place um, to be. Exactly. It's the, it's the perfect hospital, and, and just. Yep. 
by the way, kudos to the hospital. They are incredible. Uh, they and, they um, saved my life on yeah. one occasion. So. Exactly. So, so, well. so he came out with um, one kidney less, half of his liver removed, a uh, lot of other issues that happened. The fact is uh, he put himself at risk through, through reacting to a robbery and um, and he got shot. And so, so that is the risk. But I can tell you that where these neighborhood watches and farm watches that form part of our national network operate – they do have a lot of success in the last in the last 12 months we've had more than 140 uh, murder arrests that that have been made through these these structures mm. and if you think those are community structures doing this it just shows you it can be effective and let, let's just talk to Terrent as well because I, and I've spoken to it before about it before on the show I um, have had some experience in security and Deterrent is, is, is a really important aspect of things. It's not necessarily, you're not going out there to patrol to try shoot anyone or try get into a fight. In fact, that's the last thing you want, you want to actually end up happening. What you're trying to do is you're trying to, um, show criminals that this area has, uh, people who are aware. Um, ideally you actually don't want the criminals to know whether the people are armed and how well armed, et cetera, they are. And so, I'd rather not take my chances. Let me go somewhere else where uh, where the risk is less. Uh, this is seen worldwide across how places are policed, across uh, terrorists moving, originally choosing one site um, and then seeing, oh, there's security there. And actually it turned out not to be. It was just some guy standing on the curb um, and they moved to another site. So these kinds of things happen all over the place. Just prevention's better than cure. Sure. And, and do you see that in your stats? For sure. Uh, we had a case now actually in the, in the Western Cape, uh, and, uh, in this, this, this town, it's a small town, it's a, in a rural area. We've had a more than a 70% decrease in crime in the CBD since this neighborhood watch has, has dominated the area. So it works. It, the, the fact is just we need to increase this on a larger urban scale and have more people push information into a system where it can be Tron, uh, you know, changed or adapted into intelligence that we can then use to act proactively. Have you ever taken this sort of system to, to the government and said, you know, we want to help solve issues with you? Oh, several times. Uh, in fact, one of the systems that we use, the, one of the guys who, who developed it has even offered it for free to not only the Hawks, but also to the South African Police Service, and nothing's come from it. So, uh, the, the, what, look, the, the fact is our government makes money out of crime, uh, because the more security there is, the more, uh, tax is paid on businesses, uh, you know. Employment, it drives employment. It drives employment. More than 600,000 people are employed by the private security industry in South Africa. Those are just the legal security entities, a lot of illegal ones. So, uh, so government's making money out of it. Why would they stop it? They are directly uh, creating income for themselves when it comes to crime. Well, I mean, okay, that's a bit of a. It's a cynical way of looking it's, at it's it. A very cynical, I mean, yeah. even, I mean, even cynical for me, Jonathan. Well, then it Do takes you, a lot. It's one, it's one. It's one way of looking at it, though. I, I mean, I, I just, I just think you know, Hanlon's razor. <laughs> well, also, I think the flip side of of that is obviously if they try to solve the problem. Then we would have a lot better, you know, because they lose money as well every time someone gets shot or stabbed or or raped or whatever happens to them, and they've got to go to a public hospital. But I don't think it's an economic argument. No, no, it's not an economic argument. I'm just saying, I just if you think, make an economic argument yeah. out of it, I just think for them it's easy. They just let the private sector do what they need to do. Uh, they they try to regulate as much as possible. When the crime goes down, they take the credit, despite not doing anything. If the crime goes up, oh well. 
Mm. will do better. Well, like, well, there's, well, there's, no, there's no skin in the game for them look, either way. Look, we can make it an economic argument all we like. The, the fact is we need to go back to the, to the human side of it. And Absolutely. if we do that, we realize what, what the damage is. And, and what's important about this, if you go look at, for example, cash and transit heists in the country, every time before an election, the year before, there's a massive hike in cash and transit heists. Ooh, and this I like isn't, this, this I like isn't, this conspiracy. This <laughs> isn't, oh, that's the, that's the awesome part. Uh, it's, it really does happen that way. Of there's a, it does happen. there's a clear trend. That that this occurs. So so we can we can debate all we like. the The point is there are so many criminal elements inside government at the moment that it definitely has gain in a, on a personal note for those individuals who who are involved. You can see that by the cops that were fired now and that Tele uh, announced yesterday. You know, more than a thousand two hundred cops have been uh, fired because of murder, rape, and so forth. If that's just the little bit that they're announcing, can you imagine how big the problem really is? Well, I mean, really let's just is? talk about Colonel Prince Lou. He sold 1,200 weapons on the Cape Flats to gangsters, and those weapons killed over 1,000 people, I believe. Yep. Exactly. Um, and then you had the chap at Lutuli House who was uh, arrested for being a cash and transit kingpin. Since that arrest, Jonathan, have you heard of, have you heard of cash and transit heist? It's funny. The past, the past two months. It's weird. It is weird, isn't it? So they connected, connected it to Lutuli House. They just, it, it stopped. It's stopped. just a conspiracy. It's, I mean, it's, it's, just it's quite amazing. I'm just waiting for Peter Detoy to give context. <laughs> so I, I, I want to talk about that because, you know, according to the media, Afri Forum uh, cops a lot of flack in the media uh, for every reason they can find. Some of it uh, valid criticism, I think, uh, and some of it… I'm still looking for that valid criticism, to be fair. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think the problem is, is as it's become more uh, insane over the past sort of year, year and a half, you'll battle to find valid criticism. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, we can all take some criticism and we can all, the all things we might do or say that we could have done better. I mean, even Ernst on the show said, look, he went with a certain strategy to parliament. Sure. If you felt he was too aggressive, well, he wanted to be too aggressive, but he, he understood how that might have been seen by some people. Um, so, the media doesn't uh, really give you any leeway. They uh, think that uh, basically you're a racist organization. Um, they think that you only help white communities. So that's their justification for that accusation. Um, they uh, feel that, I don't know, you nationalistic, I suppose. You, you dream of the old apartheid days. Um, that obviously farm murders is not that big a problem. That's, that's been repeatedly said. Our own president in context said that, uh, no farmers have been killed. Um, so give me your feeling. You know, you, you're, you're sitting there daily. You're doing a job. You're actually seeing people get murdered. Um, you know, my first introduction to you was through Twitter, through seeing, you know, you you tweet farm attack and then and then and sometimes it comes with graphic images and all that type of stuff um and so you're seeing this on a daily basis you're seeing people actually get murdered uh, children being raped and tortured and then killed um all of the stuff going on you you're seeing what you do on the ground all the stuff you've described and then you're reading the newspapers and sort of clickbait websites like news 24 and you know what do you think mm. uh first of all I, I i really believe that the majority of the journalists who accuse us of these things know it's not true i think it just doesn't suit their personal agenda when it comes to politics and they like to drive this you know this this little let's rather call it uh 
ANC rhetoric uh, for the sake of not being rude. Uh, they they try to drive this this agenda by by criticizing us because it doesn't fit into their their little stereotypical framework that they would like to blame us on. That article that we saw of what's it, Christy van der Westen like on News Twenty Four today was a, a perfect, perfect example of this where this person states that we are generally ignored by people. We are the biggest civil rights organization uh, in the southern hemisphere and not mentioning in Africa. So, you know, this speaks for itself. We are not just some, you know, uh, little side figure organization. That, You're you know, not the white BLF. Exactly, exactly. It's as simple as that. And and uh, when it comes to the crimes themselves, I always invite these journalists like Peter de Toy, Adrian Basson, uh, I can go through the Max de Prier. I would like to tell them, come with me just for a week, okay, if you've got the stomach, and this isn't to, to uh, gloat about it, it's simply to say this takes an emotional toll on a lot of people, including us, and if you've got the stomach to come and see this for a week, then you're allowed to comment on it. But don't make comments and hide behind a computer screen, sit in your aircon uh, uh, office because it's comfortable, and you would like to comment about something you know nothing about. And this counts for, for in, in fact, for any form of violent crime. A lot of people say to us, why do you only look at farm murders? Well, uh, we've got a specific interest. We can talk about that if you like. But the fact is there's a, a specific part of us that, that focuses on this unique crime. The point is just people can't make sweeping statements about the way we combat it or the way that we share these stories if they know nothing about it. And at the moment, they're trying to, to – um, Let's say they're trying to fit their little political agenda into uh, this argument, and that's how they try and, and, and disregard our free forum. The interesting part is every time they do this, they're actually doing us a favor. We grow even more the more they make these types of statements. Ian, don't tell them. You need them. <laughs> they, they won't stop. They like every their time, own voices every too time much. They do, you must say, every time they do an opinion piece, you lose 10,000 members. <laughs> it's very important. So they keep doing them, and the inverse happens. It, it's funny, though. They can't help themselves. They have to stress. And this is actually a pathology of the left is that they tend to stress and affect everything in the last 10 years. Um, you know, it's it, 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 instead of just ignoring the stuff that, that irritates them. It's, and then it will obviously, sometimes it'll go away. I, Donald Trump is the best example of this uh, yeah. in, in recent history. I mean, Hillary Clinton you know, made, made the he, biggest faux pas ever. She called his supporters deplorable. No, but I, before that. And, and, then, and then her slogan was, love Trump hates. What? Love, love Trump hates. So you have your enemy, your opponent's name in your own slogan. <laughs> but, but not even that. Pathetic. You know, a guy enters... A guy enters a, a an election race where there's 16 other guys um, running. He he enters, I think, second or third and, and, last. And a lady. Um, yes, and Carly, a lady, Carly Fiorina. That one. Um, and he enters the race, one of the last guys to enter the race. And, you know, I nobody gave him a chance. And truth be told, he wouldn't have had a chance. But people have done various sort of studies and, and gone back and looked at all the media coverage and there's, there's, there's arguments that he got up to a billion dollars in free media coverage that other candidates didn't get and this happens all the time. So the Strassand effect happens a little bit obviously to a lesser extent with you guys. Happens to us as well. Um, but I think we would like more than the Strassand effect, we would like to be properly 
represented. You know, it's not about not, uh, it's not about dis- whether you disagree or agree with us. That's fine. Disagree. Just but be objective. That's be, the point. Or, or a little bit honest. Just honest. Yeah. Just, just everyone should be disliked for what it actually does and stand for. Mm. Not, not, not these, these myths that are created about you. Exactly. Uh, it's the same thing we say to the DA. Just be honest about who you are. And if people don't like you, tell them not to vote for you. Like, yeah. it is that simple. And every form has taken that stance. You're quite actually like a stubborn, Organization um, like <laughs> In a good way Yeah in a very good way Like we're very stubborn On this show Where does that come from Like what How do you keep Going the course um, Despite all these You know Attacks on you Well I think we We realize how important It is to have a, a Strong identity I think that's where The DA sometimes You know Gets a bit of criticism Is that people Don't always Know where they stand What really is Your identity And, and we're proud Of the organization That we are we support the fact that you that you need to have a strong identity, and uh, if if you are able to maintain that, we don't really see you failing. The fact is, just it shouldn't be at the cost of someone else. So, if someone else has a legitimate cause, regardless whether it's a cultural organisation, oh man, if if it's something to do with music, for example, it doesn't matter. Uh, if they've got a legitimate cause that that doesn't break the law and that and that doesn't you know go move on to an extremist type of view. Then they have a they have a, a reasonable reason to to be there, and we need to make sure that that our existence isn't at the cost of other people. Yeah, I mean the only problem with Afriform is that you're too centrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ramon, you know you always got to take it that next level, eh? Um, all right, well, just finally um, from my side, um, we got plenty of time. No, we do have plenty of time, but but in terms of things that, that that I really wanted to discuss with you, just a little bit on the personal, because before we started recording, uh, you know, you kind of, and even Ramon was, was getting into a little bit of this, uh, we were mentioning the, the sort of personal attacks because your organization has become, uh, as you say, it's, it's, it's with the largest civil, civil rights group uh, in, in, on the continent. Um, certainly in terms of media, I think you were very large before this latest flurry of media coverage. Let's go sort of prior to uh, anyone going to America and all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you were a big organization and, but now you're sort of thrust into the, the main spotlight. You, you, you're the enemy, you know, there's Cyril and there's Afri Forum. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the, the dichotomy, certainly two weeks ago, that was the dichotomy. Um, what kind of blowback are you guys getting, uh, in personally from, from all of this? Um, there's a, uh, there's, I think it hasn't changed much. They, they haven't really been able to, with all this, you know, what feels like extra criticism, they haven't really been able to to threaten us more than usual. It's, it's just the usual carrying on. And usual death threats. We yeah uh, we often see on on Google Maps our office has a few you know uh, Photoshop pictures on it now where where we're being told that it'll be burnt and and so on. But uh, I love going to the office and I've never felt threatened there. Mm. Uh, so so it hasn't really changed. I, I I think it's also important to know that the way you grow and when you grow, you are you are gonna receive the you know more criticism as you would more compliments so as long as we keep you know we we keep focused on on our members and that we support them and that we act on you know in a with the moral high ground in what we do i don't 
see there being a problem. Obviously, some of us, me included, we do personally also receive criticism and, and threats sometimes. Uh, but uh, but we're doing the right thing, and 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 I don't see that changing anytime soon. And the threats haven't worked very well. So why is it? Why do you think that you there hasn't been like you know your offices haven't been barricaded or people have been you know outside it protesting something? Because my, my theory is um, these like the EFF and and the mobs that they employ and the ANC mobs they prey on on weakness. So they go to you know the. Adam Katsavellos's, you know, business and, and, and the business falls over and they say, yes, we agree to everything and it closes down and they lose all the jobs and everything. AfriForum does, does, is, is a very strong brand, a very strong organization. And I think if people had to try barricade it or mob it, it's, they would actually come up against people who are willing to fight them on their own terms. Uh, not, not in a physical sense, but I'm no, talking about you, in a, in a, in a meta- metaphorical, mm. ideological sense. Like you care deeply about what you do and you will destroy anyone who tries to destroy that. Well, it's quite simple. Um, the ANC, the EFF, we can take it as far as BLF if you like, but I don't think they're even worth mentioning. Uh, all of these organizations function on a, on a scavenger type of way. So you can kind of see them as the hyenas when it comes to, and, and I'll explain it to you. But we, we, it's a bit racist. I know we, don't, we don't like to compare. Uh, I'm sorry. The H word is acceptable. Still. Hyena. They are hyenas. Fine. Uh, right. That we're allowed. It's okay. the only part of the jungle I should mention. And I don't work for H&M, so I'm lucky. Um, Jeez. but, uh, um, let me, let, let me explain to you when it, when it, when it comes to them, I really think it comes to the balance of forces idea. So uh, when as soon as they see they're really going to get uh, re- retaliated to or that there's something that is being defended properly, they usually fall back. And this is another reason why they get away with so much when it comes to the police and, and unrest in public is because the police, as you said earlier, are scared of Americana and they know how far they can push the police. A lot of these guys are are experts at the way they they push unrest in in civil unrest in in, in specific regions, and uh, and and I think they know that from Afri Forum side we we are a disciplined organisation and and we we will look after whatever is ours. Yeah, because I mean, and that's the point. I mean, and you're the only one on on if I may say that side of the centre right spectrum or classic liberal spectrum that actually has a bit of gumption and a bit of force that um that you know that stands behind you. I think um, there's a second aspect to it. I mean yeah. you, you you might still see something like the EFF uh, at some point trying to to make something of this but I I my sense is that Many people in South African society look at an organization like AfriForum and probably think to themselves, sure, be nice if a community like mine had an organization like that. Or they look at it and go, yeah, they're not doing anything wrong. They have members. I mean, I look at it and go, well, okay, they have members who pay them. Their members want them to do certain things. They're doing those things that their members want them to do. Otherwise, they wouldn't a, hang on to those members and B, have relatively phenomenal growth. Um, and so, you know, I, I think people tend to uh, resonate with the freedom of association. Yeah, no, but I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about ordinary South Africans. I yeah. think ordinary South Africans don't care about you with due respect. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. another organization exactly. that has whatever. Yeah. No one cares. But it's, a, it's that intransigent minority idea mm. that we keep going on about. The EFF do it very well. The ANC don't do it too well, but they're such a monolith. It's, it's difficult to do well. And, and, and every forum does it really well. 
DA doesn't. I don't have any other group that does it as well as you and the EFF. You have a core set of ideals that you're willing to fight for. Um, but it, for some reason, like you never clash. And that's why I'm wondering why they don't try to pick on you. Can because if, you they, if they destroy you, it's a massive coup. Mm, can I tell you EFF. an interesting story about the EFF? Uh, I don't know if you remember with Fees Must Fall, there was a, Very well. a stage when, when they uh, said Afrikaans must fall at Tux specifically mm-hmm. at the University of Pretoria. And during that time, there was a face-off between a whole lot of Afrikaans students. Uh, a lot of them were Afri Forum youth members. Uh, they were about 35, maybe 40, and the EFF were about 350 or 400. The EFF lost that day, and they lost quite badly. In fact, they tried to regroup the next day, and only seven people showed up. And I believe it's the first time in the history of the EFF where they were showed down by civilians, uh, and they couldn't understand how a small group of people were able to look them in the eye, not be scared of them, where they couldn't intimidate them. And these guys started singing to them with a smile on their face. They had to face a few bricks and and stones and rocks and glass bottles that came flying over. And a lot of the guys did get hurt. They ended up having to go to get stitches and so on. But the EFF couldn't understand this. And the point is just we do not have to live in fear in the country of this, you know, supposed third force EFF that's going to take over. They are not the majority. They are a very small group still. They might look big when they do big protests and Malema speaks and shoots his gun into the air and, and so on. The fact is just they are not this majority group. They are a, still a, a small, noisy majority in the country. The average South African is a balanced human being. They are good people. Yeah, they're centrist. But, but, and that's the thing, because I think the EFF are, are classic bullies. Yeah. In a sense. Scavengers. And, and a lot of, or scavengers. That's actually a better term. I wish you call them that. Economic freedom scavengers. Um, <laughs> you can say vulture. No, it's, I like it's vultures. An, no. They're wonderful creatures. South Africa's not dead yet, so they can't okay. carry the corpse. Hyenas still kill things. But, but they are the quintessential bullies, in, in essence. And we know with bullies, it takes a lot of guts and sometimes you're not, you're scared. But if you stand up to them, Bullies back down because they're just not used to it. They're used to people rolling over, giving them what they want. And I think a lot of political parties, the so-called liberation types like the EFF and the, and the ANC, uh, will roll over once people just point that the emperor has no clothes. But people are very fearful to point that out. Well, not only that, uh, you know, you talk about the size of them. If they have a march and there's 5,000 people, that looks impressive. It really does. You know, 5,000 people, and it doesn't matter who it, who does it. Uh, the DA, I think, had a march last year or the year before. It was the Stop Zuma march or whatever it was, and they had something like that. And it looked really impressive, you know, a street in Cape Town, the right camera angle, and a sea of blue. Um, but the reality is that 0.01% of the entire population, it's a nothing. It's a drop in the ocean. You can make the argument, as media often does, that, oh, they managed to get that many people to mobilize, you know. So, yes, while it's only this small amount of people in the overall population, they actually got them to be in one place at one time. Yeah, okay. I mean, you can make that argument, but then music festivals do that all the time, and they they have people throwing money at them on top of it. Mm. Um, So… It's absolutely what we've been mentioning about, you know, the the, the tyranny of the minority… 
and the loud minority and unfortunately helped along by useful idiots yep. in the media who uh, are selling a lie of what these people are, who they who they overall represent, um, and how big their voice actually is. Because once again, five thousand people is zero point zero one percent of the and, population. And Malema thrives off the 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 misinformed and lazy journalism that's out there. Um, he thrives on on that type of sensationalist. Uh, look at things. He he thrives on the fact that, for example, an Afri forum might get criticism about something that we never even said. Mm. Uh, so so he immediately jumps on that, and that's where the scavenger part once again comes in. Right. Uh, he's a bully. Uh, so yeah. so he uses and he's clever. People don't realize okay. the way he he approaches these things, and 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 that's where I say, and, and I, don't, I think a lot of people wouldn't believe that it would come out of an Afri forum staff member's mouth. But <laughs> hats off to Malema in the way that he is able. To, to play this this game Yeah, I mean Gareth Van Onsen wrote a great piece In Business Live or Business Day Whatever you call it this week About him being the, the greatest political leader in South Africa today And it's absolutely correct yeah. A lot of people think he's like some sort of buffoon From the northwest, And he's really not he, He's very clever He just has the completely wrong politics I think if he was uh, a type of uh, I think- reformist capitalist He would be extremely popular I, th- I think uh, But you see the problem is Is so I don't think he's that clever. I think, I think clever comes in different sort of guises. And I think people who know how to game systems are not necessarily clever. So, you know, Malema's learned, for example, the more crazy a thing he says, the more likely he is to be picked up by a whole bunch of newspapers. And if he's then picked up by a whole bunch of newspapers, then he can control the narrative for a period of time, depending on how nuts the thing he said is. And if it gets even worse than that and he's reported to the Human Rights Commission or something, that's even better because now he can play the victim as that. And, and he, so he's learned how to game whatever the system happens, you know, whether it's the government system, whether it's how to play the ANC at their own game. I mean, I, mean, I think that's the, the, the funniest thing about all of this. So we've said he wants to go back to the ANC regardless. But the reality is, is even if he doesn't, he's a guy who grew up in the ANC who knows how every one of their structures works. He knows who gets an SMS first when the NEC makes a decision. He knows who the president talks to first when he wants to change a policy. He knows all of this stuff. Um, at, at one point, the media were being open about this. They were saying, Julius is the best leaker. Yeah, just um, follow him on Twitter. He, he, he will tell you everything the ANC is doing. Mm. He, and, and if you speak to journalists privately, they'll tell you straight, you know, if you want to know the inner workings or what's happening behind the scenes. He's the guy to talk to. But, it's, but it's not, he's not just clever in that way. For example, the, the, the unofficial so-called coalition that he's in at the moment, it's a partnership, no official coalition agreement, no, no official agreement on, on policies. Mm. And he, he controls them in a way that he controls them as long as they are useful. He decided Trollope wasn't useful. To show a bit of might to the DA that he can take them out, he took Trollope out after the sixth time. It wasn't like very successful, but he got it. He's struggling with Solims among them. So by not having an official coalition, a they're not responsible for any screw up those municipalities do. They can always claim deniability. And number two, they can just change it if they feel like it. It's a very powerful position, and we tend to underestimate the the strategy involved. Long term strategy is. Possibly 2019, he collapses all coalitions, votes with the ANC, and get, and gets to be the kingmaker within ANC structures at the very high level. And that has been the plan since 2013 when he started the EFF. Who knows? Who knows how long his game is? 
They say Sura is a long game. I don't think he knows what he's doing tomorrow. Julius is far more strategic. And if you think he's an idiot or a buffoon or a crazy racist, he might be all those things. But you, you're disarming yourself if you think someone is just crazy because they might not you be. You know what I believe? I, I truly believe that the things that he says need to be taken seriously. I think a lot of people laugh it off. And there's something that yeah. Winston Churchill said about Hitler. This isn't exactly, you know, regardless whether you like Malema or not, um, uh, just, just for example's sake, uh, Winston Churchill said that, you know, you need to believe what Hitler's saying. And a lot of the people before Churchill's time said, no, we'll go and talk to him. It'll be okay. Yeah. The first time I was in, in the Thule house, uh, me personally, a few years ago about farm murders, Malema was still the leader of the youth league. He said that if we ever put our feet there again, he'll shoot us from the seventh floor. So, um, he hasn't shot at us. He shot into the air in the Eastern Cape. But the, the, the fact of the matter is the things that he has said up to now has become true. Quite a few of them. The, the way that he's grown, uh, the utterances that we hear at, even at farm attacks, guys, it's a reality. The things that victims tell us in their statements is, is quite clear. And I'm not, uh, I don't want to go into the conspiracy of who orchestrates and whatever. That's a discussion on its own. The point is just he does have a massive influence. Uh, on what's happening on ground level. The danger I believe we have before the next election is that uh, the, a the ANC with the EFF are going to make a lot of places ungovernable. They're going to make uh, a massive use of, of civil unrest. The frustration in the country is massive. We see Ennerdale again today, what's happened there, the shutdowns across the rest of the, of the, of certain areas about drugs and so on. Uh, I believe that they're going to abuse that next year and that poses a danger to the more kind of central view on, on things. Well, it also pushes the populace perhaps to, to, you know, long term you have enough of that. You might want a guy like Julius because a guy like Julius, if he, if he pivots to, I'm the guy you should elect because I will put up with none of this shit and I will bring in the military and I will, you know, take, have a heavy hand with the police. The law um, and order can. Yeah, exactly. Once you've terrorized the population, you know, sort of Bane from, <laughs> from, from Dark Knight, you, you, you terrorize the population and then you show them that you can bring, you know, justice and, 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 and law and order, um, to them. Uh, and, and so I, 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 I'm, I think that that's certainly making things ungovernable where they don't govern is a part of it, but also um, using that to manipulate the the electorate uh, is is also an, an interesting uh, sort of theory. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, I mean, long term, I mean, what do you see as Afrom's role? If we assume that state degradation will continue, if we assume that institutions will be hollowed out, I mean, do you foresee? A, a parallel state, so to speak, or a, a, you know, a, a private state, in, in where that you you can con not every forum voluntarily wants to be the government, so to speak, but where you can um, control certain things that prevents uh, your members or people in communities from from feeding that state degradation at a at a local level. Well, I, I believe that we. I, I, I don't even know if it's if we would call it a state, maybe later or even now, but. Uh, what I do believe is that in, in certain, uh, spheres of, of service that needs to be delivered by government, we would try and empower communities to do that. So in certain parts of the northern areas in KwaZulu-Natal, 
we're already in a position where all refuse removal is done by Afri Forum community members, uh, where they've built a system where they can do recycling in order to get money back, in order to fix potholes in the area, in order for them to make sure that the bins are fi- fixed on the high street in the town. So, you know, there's this chain reaction, and this is a small example. It's it's not common, but that's the the way we're looking at it. That you put the power back into the hands of the community, not in a communist type of uh, uh, sense where we are really trying to say that the that the community takes responsibility and that we can't just wait for government to do things and that's the biggest thing a lot of people uh believe and they always always say that that you know we we look back at a at a previous government and and so on and I didn't I wasn't even a, alive during that time in, in the South African history. Uh, but what I must say is that I think the worst thing that happened in the previous regime is that people became dependent on government. So as soon as something goes wrong, they immediately point a finger at government instead of taking responsibility themselves. And, and that's the type of, uh, um, type of, uh, you know, the type of responsibility we're trying to get back into communities where people say, but I'm going to take ownership of the problem. Yeah, Pit Leroux told us this, the head of Soccer League, formerly Afri Soccer. He said, you know, apartheid was not terribly helpful to Afrikaners because it made them state dependence, exactly. essentially, because the Afrikaners came through hundreds of years by self-determination, uh, so to speak. And then the, once they got into power, they became lazy and, and corrupted. Yeah. And now Afri Forum is sort of a reaction to that in a way whereby you create uh, emergent order through private institutions and you <clears throat> and people fund it themselves um, so that you do you know state proof yourself yeah. from yeah. state predation how do you plow back into the community and and that's exactly it uh, we need to get away from a grant mentality because the country lives on, on grants, a large part of the country, and we simply cannot afford It's not sustainable. It will never be sustainable. Uh, we, we have to make sure that… E- even if it were sustainable, it's not a way to live because those grants are – they don't really pay for much. So yeah. um, it, it, even if you could continue paying it forevermore, you had a never-ending tax base or yeah. just, just uh, you won the lottery every week. Yeah. You know, the South African government entered the British lottery or something. And they kept winning. It, it wouldn't matter because the amount that those grants give gives people no actual ability right. to live a decent life. Yeah, I had a I had a discussion with a with a veteran journalist from uh, from the BBC who now works for ABC in Australia, and she we had a blog, about two weeks ago they were in South Africa her and her husband and we were having dinner and we were discussing exactly this the grant mentality and this she told me that in Australia they've got such a big problem under the Aborigine community. Uh, that there are third, even fourth generations that haven't worked. So they have never been put into a, a working mentality that I need to work for whatever I get at the end of a month in order for me to have a sustainable future. The grants are so good that it makes sense for them rather not to work and just to sit around. And that's when all the other social problems start moving in and it just mm. creates an unhealthy society. Same as in America well, and Australia. It's that, you know, it's that unintended consequences of, of white guilt. Historical guilt. I mean, the Aborigines were. I mean, I would not hesitate to say that was a genocide. Uh, a genocide by yeah, people. Terrible. No, it's and also, terrible. Whatever. But also the illnesses that spread. I mean, more were killed by illness. Same as same as uh, Native American Indians. Yeah. Um, but the Native American Indians who live on reservations now, given to them by the state, this is your homeland, or it was. We took it away from you. Um, they have the highest drug dependency rate in the entire country, much more than. 
what we suspect might be uh, uh, Hispanic communities. No, the Native Americans, same as in Australia. So that's the unintended consequences of guilt. We, we're very sorry about what our ancestors did. So let's feed the problem. So we're going to, exactly, we're mm. just going to carry on. And I think that might be a reason why I saw the incident race relations released uh, issues, election issues. And, and drugs is number two after jobs. It's yeah. never been that high. It's even before crime. Exactly. Mm. And that's never been that high. Ever, and I, I believe it's 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 a consequence. Well, of, of of people just being unemployed and having whatever little money they can have just to feel a sensation, I, to feel something. While I, while I'm not against uh, the the uh, courts ruling, the constitutional courts ruling on on marijuana, although I am against the way they came to it because I don't think it should be a privacy ruling. I just think they should change the bloody law, which is what um, the parliament is meant well, to the, do. Well, the facts before them was on privacy. So they I, know, only, I know, but yeah. th- those things are always stupid. It's the same as Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade in America, the abortion law was based on, on a privacy ruling. And that's why it's going to get overturned at some point in the future, because at some point in the future, that ruling, which was bullshit, um, wasn't based on abortion. It was based about uh, on what you're allowed to do with your body in private. Um, and so that's why it's likely to be overturned. It's not, mm. it wasn't a moral ruling. Um, um, whichever side of this argument you sit on, you should want a ruling based on the actual thing, not based yeah. on a loophole to get there. Mm. So we got a, we've got a loophole to get to marijuana legality in this country instead of our – because this is because politicians are too scared, chicken shit, to say we're going to make a law – because that's their job. It's not the job of the courts to make laws or change laws. That's, th- this is like a loophole that lawyers use because politicians become useless um, and aren't willing to sit in parliament and go, we're going to make a bill. We're going to make a bill, turn it into an act. Um, and in South Africa, the bill should be, uh, we're going to change the law where it says that marijuana is illegal and we're going to make a law that says it's now legal. But I, I think, um, you know, and as I say, I'm fine with it being legal, but I don't think a lot of the country is. Uh, and I th- I also think that th- one of the problems we have is we've got these kinds of things which are celebrated, um, you know, drugs being, uh, you know, someone who lives in a community where drugs are a scourge on the community. And that's not because they're legal or legal, but they won't view it like that. They're not going to go, oh, um, you're now they're legal, so it won't be as much of a problem. Or it was because they were illegal that they're a problem in my community. Because chances are that community has you – know, drugs have, in a lot of these communities have taken hold. And so making them legal or illegal doesn't change much. It might change something over many years. Mm. And I think that I think that people look at that. They see that change. They don't see simple stuff like stupid labor laws change or um, they don't see um, – things uh politicians who break the law going to to jail they don't see any of that kind of stuff happening and that uh, that's why i'm not surprised to see that on the on the ir's radar i I think once again we underestimate the conservatism of the south african population i don't always agree with that conservatism and their views on certain social issues but uh I think you ignore that at your peril. Well, it's a bit like what Voldemar Pelser said, the editor of Report. He says, you know, Report has a readership. Sometimes he, he disagrees with that readership, but you have to cater to it. It mm. may be more conservative than you as editor. It may be more liberal than you mm. as editor. It doesn't really matter. You have to cater to the markets in the but end of the day. You, and that's what, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. No, go, go and, and, and I think that's what AfriForum does quite well. You cater to your market, which I assume, if I'm honest with you, I assume is middle class Afrikaners. Um, do you have any association with what we would call 
black groups, um, for lack of a better word? Do you, do you try to work with, with other organizations that are similar to you, but serve maybe a different demographic or a different? Well, I, I think market? some of them aren't even similar. I, I just believe that they might have a one or two goals that, that we, that we agree on. We might not agree on everything, but as I mentioned earlier, SA United Against Crime in Soweto is a completely black organization. There is not one white face. Uh, though we do community planning together, strategic sessions when it comes to them combating crime in their areas and even us and, and, and we support each other through doing that. So the, the point is from, from our side, we, we are, we look for partnerships. We speak with as many people as possible. I, I think a lot of people thought Kali Creel is, is approaching serious politics when they saw him and Monsieur Lakota you know, Terra doing a, a, a press conference together. Or the Zulu King. You yeah, his the Zulu party. King. So, so you know, the good thing about that is it, it keeps people wondering. Uh, but, but regardless, if we can form an alliance where we can, uh, work together for a common goal, not one at the cost of another, I believe it's, it's a healthy thing to do. You must follow the age old historical precedents of the Bura and the Zulus working together against a common enemy. Well, but this is, uh, you, you know, this is the problem. <laughs> with society at the moment is people believe that you are one thing or you think one thing. Therefore you think all the other things that are related to that. And then anyone else who thinks the opposite thing cannot possibly relate to you. Uh, the best example I can think of at the moment is Kanye West, who I don't think is, uh, we've discussed him on the show before. I don't think he's a genius by any sense, but he's, occasionally he's a musical genius. Fine. I agree with that. Uh, but occasionally he, Keep telling yourself he, he has, he has, Occasionally he says stupid, th- completely stupid things that you're like, are you like, like, what are you thinking? Yeah, right? And occasionally he says intelligent things. I mean, uh, this past week he turned around and said, uh, he thinks Donald Trump and Colin Kaepernick should get together and they should have a discussion. I agree. I do not think for one second that Colin Kaepernick is going to convince Donald Trump of much. And I don't think that Donald Trump will convince um, Colin Kaepernick of anything. But I do think that it's important they sit down and have a discussion. Um, I don't think that because they have differing views, they can't sit at a table and maybe say they both like Coke or whatever it is. And this is the, the problem we have at the moment. We are not allowed to um, – you know, if I sit across from you now, in a year's time when they write a hit piece on me for whatever I do at the time, uh, they'll say, and jo- Jonathan is well known to have fraternized with far right groups like Afri Forum. Yeah, um, he has a picture of him with Ian and he has a picture of him with Ernst and, and, uh, because if I've, if I've sat across from you or I've taken a photograph with you, it must mean I agree with everything in that you think in life. And it must mean you agree with everything that I do in life. Mm. And of course, this guilt by association is just the best thing ever because we can dispense with entire groups of people if you're all guilty based on your sort of six degrees of separation. Well, that's what the citizens, sorry, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt. That's what the citizen did to Amstrad and Willem Petzer. Mm. Willem Petzer, some YouTuber, whom, whom I'm, I met him once and he's a bit young and you dislike him. Uh, he has a, a, a server that shares like that racist memes. I'm going to say they're racist. Some of them were Nazi memes. And then somehow there's a photo of him and Ernst at Ernst's book launch. And then somehow they want to lick Willem Pitz's server and racist memes to every forum. And then <clears throat> people complain. And then there's a, 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 a rebuttal where they say, no, our, our initial um, intention was to link every forum to the server. So they're like just so blatant about trying to have this guilt by association. And it's not helping 
the citizen, and it's certainly not helping every forum at all because who cares what other people say on their stupid server where you're not members? But this this is the thing that, that I don't understand, for example, about the citizen. So you would have seen about a month ago, we assisted a black farmer just outside Pretoria, Dr. Matera Mule, mm-hmm. uh, awesome yeah. guy. He's a he's a He's he's actually a, a, a genius. He's a he's a mathematician, a doctor. Did all his studies in the states on bursaries and and so on. Long story short, fact Sounds is, I'm very interesting. Yeah, yeah. He approached Afri Forum. He said, "Look, the cops aren't helping me. None of the political parties are helping me. Is there a way that you can assist me?" We said, "Sure." And uh, and I got my team together. I said, "We have to help this guy. We need to make sure his his land is 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 saved. We we need to his property rights need to be protected." And and we jumped in, and two weeks later, the red ants moved in. We had 800, 900-odd red ant uh, workers move in. They broke down. hundred? Yeah. They, wow. They walked in. Uh, in three hours, they removed 350 shacks, uh, and, um, and they cleaned up the, the place. And the next day… On the on one of the pages of Citizen, there was an article that said, Afri Forum comes to the rescue of black farmer. And then a few days later, they come with this racist meme thing. So I honestly think some of these media institutions have lost their own identity. I don't think they know what they want or where they're headed. They, 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 they're not balanced at all. At least with the Huffington Post, you know, the majority of the stuff they write is completely prejudiced. Uh, on on some of the opinions they give, but then you get an institution like Citizen where you at least want to believe that they're going to give kind of a middle ground uh, explanation. Both sides, yeah. Be fair. And right? then this this totally unbalanced thing comes out where they write a great article where we did help a black farmer, where we are now friends after this whole thing that happened. And then three days later or a week later, they write that thing about Ernst and, and someone's racist memes. It just doesn't make sense. But, but why do you think – I mean, speaking to you now, we see what you do. I mean, I approve as an anarchist. I think you, you're doing a great thing. Maybe I think Jonathan would agree with – I approve as a free market, yeah. Right. Free market anarchist. <laughs> That's me. That's me. Jonathan's a mercantile Jew, so I don't know if you can be Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> but – why aren't those stories about you like coming out? Like, like personally, I think every forum has a messaging problem. Yeah, well, this is the frustrating thing. You know, we 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 always make sure we've got press releases. Look, every single day, the important stories go out. And with Matsuri Mule's farm, I made a point of it to make sure that I personally inform many journalists on it, and and even phone them and tell them, listen, this is happening, because I know. It's not reported on the way that it should be reported on. But if you take the same incident or you take, let's rather say you have a coffin incident. I don't even want to compare the two because the one's positive, the other's negative. Then you see the over-reporting because the, the criminal in the case is white. You know, so, so it's as though the stereotype kind of influences the way they report because we make sure that we communicate it to the outside world. And if you go look at Afrikaans media, specifically Marula media, Media or Netwerk 24 or Bild and any of those papers, you would see that they do get reported on accurately. But then certain, especially English media institutions, uh, choose not to. It's as though they've got the, they they have been captured by by someone. I don't know who, but they have been, and then they don't report accurately. His initials are GNS. <laughs> 
who they've been captured by. He donates money all over the world all the time. Oh. He was mentioned in a recent Trump tweet. Oh, who? Those, who, who can't? Uh, it sounds like Oros. He, he, he who should not be named. No, I, um, that's conspiracy theory. But but um, I, it's not so much captured. It's but you're correct. It's it's they push a certain agenda. I mean, I think I think some of this comes down to remembering that there's different individuals in media organisations, and so That's when true. you get a you get a fair article written in the Citizen, for example, you've come across a fair journalist. You've come across, and let's remember, the person who wrote that article is an actual journalist. Um, the person who wrote the memes article is not a journalist. Um, so, as in, is not a trained journalist. Never went to journalism school. Is not that's not their their forte. So, uh, the person who wrote the memes article happens to be a content manager. And to come up for some of the journalists, sorry to interrupt you, mm. but I have to no, mention it. To come up for for some of the journalists is that. I've phoned some of the journalists, for example, let's take News 24, and I said, listen, we gave you all of this information. Don't even give credit. Sorry, the editor removed it. So then I see a story, for example, Afri Forum won a case a year ago where the cops had to make public how many firearms have they lost or had been stolen from them in an X amount of time. And then I see it being reported and say there was this court victory, but Afri Forum's name isn't mentioned once, but the entire court case was driven by it. So then you have this editor kind of prejudice, but the ground-level journalist mm. very often does yeah. want to just tell so an objective th- story. That's what I've, I've found. Uh, you know, I've got personal dealings with, with uh, quite a few journalists, and the level of um, sort of – I wouldn't call it corruption, but the level of control that's being exerted at the editorial level uh, is is quite astonishing. And and even the other day on on Gareth Cliff's show, I mean he 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 had a he has a, a feature every every week called the Burning Platform, uh, was hosted by Justice Malala before he managed to get his family out of the shithole into America. You know he, he's being currently being persecuted in Trump's America, but he went there with his entire family, um, and now every week it's usually hosted by a journalist. They get a guest journalist. And this past week, they got uh, it's Simon Ellison, eh? Simon Ellison, Simon from Ellison the who Guardian. is the African editor for the Mail and Guardian. And they, you know, he, he he's a he's a pleasant fellow, and uh, they got chatting and good insert, and it's always it's always interesting that inserts are highly recommended. But then they got to the part about Melania Trump coming to Africa, and he said. You know, I mean, go back and listen to it. You can, you can, you can call me out if I'm not telling the truth. He said that, um, we don't care about Melania's trip, so we're not covering it. Um, now that's, wow. that's the editor and Gareth pushed back a bit and actually quite a lot and, and said, yeah, but, but it's the, the first lady. It's her first trip ever. Yeah, but she doesn't care about Africa. He said, and Gareth was like, yeah, but he's, it's her first trip and she chose to come here. Um, no, but you know, and then Gareth said, but if it was Michelle Obama, you'd be covering it back to front. And he kind of spluttered over his words and he didn't really know what to say. Um, you know, that's kind of what's happening. Think about everything you can think of. I know of a science journalist who, who took um, a study that had been done in, in Europe uh, where they had looked at, at various genetics and how genetics had informed disease. And some of the genetics that came from – that happened to come from black people basically. But like we're talking about like historic stuff. Uh, you know, we, we're going back into, into the evolutionary stuff. Um it had informed certain disease and some of the stuff from traditionally, you know, Caucasians had informed other Correct, disease yeah. and it wasn't a, a persecution thing. They would not allow it to be included. They would not allow any kind of race stuff to be included. 
um, it's, it's science. It's not, it's not making aspersions on anything. And it wasn't even making negative aspersions on any of the race groups. It was just simply stating sort of data findings. Um, and this stuff is being excluded. So I think, you know, that's very important to understand. That's why we, I mean, we've discussed it on the show. The reason why a show like this is quite popular, why alternative media is popular, why someone like Germ's cartoons are quite popular. Um, uh, you know, uh, you guys have, uh, I think Focus Films does, does a whole bunch of stuff as well. Um, because it, it, it's, it's this, it's a stuff that just isn't reaching anyone. It, it you know, it gets blocked before it gets there. Uh, tell us quickly, because we haven't discussed it. There have been a couple of movies and films done on far murders. Um, you've got, um, Lawrence Southern's one, uh, which was. It was called Farmlands, I believe. Farmlands, that was it. And there was another one. There was Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins. I can't remember what hers was. It was called Plast Murder, I believe. It was I don't called. even know what it was called, but yeah, Katie Hopkins. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, well, tell us what you think. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let's give a bit of context. All right. So, so these are ostensibly international journalists who, 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 I mean, they, they, they both used to work for Rebel Media, who I don't really trust that much. They're a bit like right wing out there, right wing, but they should, they should exist like everyone else. And there, there's a, there's a, a concentrated, uh, campaign by international right wing media to talk about a white genocide in South Africa. I think Lawrence Southern has fallen into that hole a bit deeper than, than Katie Hopper, because I've watched both. I think both have some merits, but, uh, I, I, I found both to be rather derivative and I don't trust both to be, you know, good documentaries in an objective sense. Not that they're meant to be objective. They, maybe their point was to show that there's white genocide and they've tried their best to portray that. Um, but I understand that, uh, you, you, you met with Katie Hopkins and is in her documentary. So what do you make of these international journalists coming into South Africa and trying to tell the story of farm murders uh, for a global audience? Is it helping you? Is it detracting from me? It depends from, from case to case. Uh, I mean, I think of Paul Tui and Gary Ramage from, from Australia that visited earlier this year. And, um, and they were actually the ones that sparked this international outcry or, or almost outrage about farm attacks in the country. And we've received, and predominantly from, from traditionally liberal media, a lot of, uh, communication where people want to tell the stories and very positive stories in, even in our favor have been told throughout the world from German media, Japanese media, um, American media. Really well balanced stories have been told. So, uh, from, Regarding their documentaries, I think it, it's a, it's a dangerous game to play because I think it, it has the, the threat of creating a, a misperception of what's happening. Um, uh, from, from my point of view and, and I guess if it's possible, forget Afri Forum side. If, if I were just to look at it from the outside completely, Katie Hopkins, for example, in one of her crowdfunding videos, I told you earlier about it, you know, she, she suddenly starts running and shots are being fired all around her and she's got bodyguards taking her to the car. And then the next moment she pops out saying, luckily that was just a drill, but this is the reality on farms in South Africa. <laughs> That's proper fake news. Yeah. It's, it's utter nonsense. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. And, uh, the, the sad thing is it creates a total misperception of what really has happened. Now, the lucky thing is I think a lot of people, especially in the media, know Katie Hopkins and, and they kind of see through this, but it does create a, a wrong idea of what's happening and that creates damage to our cause. So 
I very often on Twitter, as you said earlier, not often, now and then I would post a picture of a victim of a farm attack. I never put photos up of dead bodies or whatever. I'd put a face mm. up of someone lying in hospital being bruised. Or, or, or you know, a scene with blood. And, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I think you put one of that little girl who was, who was raped. Exactly. It wasn't the little girl or anything, but there was, a, I think, a child's piece of clothing or something. And, yeah, her and a toys whole bunch were lying of, there and blood, and blood against and, the wall. And, I mean, very disturbing stuff. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so I, I do put that up occasionally and it's it's not to desensitize people because i take that into consideration because if people see too much of that they kind of start looking at it as just another saw movie and it's important that people have compassion and, and so on and i'm a strong believer that we need to tell every single victim's story because otherwise people just become a statistic um it's a south african disease actually when it comes to crime but uh, the, the, the danger about these people is that when they go and speak in an international arena, and a lot of the very far right wing groups in South Africa have done this, they take these graphic photos and they go and share photos of dead bodies and people have them chopped up and horrible things. And those photos weren't even in South Africa. You know, there was a video that was being spread up about a month ago in South Africa of a woman being beheaded. And a lot of people said, this is a farm attack and this happened in KwaZulu Natal. And meanwhile, it was a drug cartel in Brazil that had kidnapped someone and the video started spreading on social media. You can hear them uh, speaking in a completely different language in the <laughs> background. Mm. And, and people started sharing this. And, and this is the danger of not being balanced, not confirming something. When we report on something, when I report something on Twitter, I am 99.8% convinced that is right and when i say there might be a 0.2 percent difference the the reason for that is uh i sometimes uh, might have said the guy was stabbed once instead of being stabbed 10 times you know so those are the types of difference we make sure that when we report something it is confirmed on the ground with either a victim or someone on scene yeah so i mean unfortunately these people keep coming back to South Africa to try and make these stories. Um, I mean, do they contact you for assistance? They've contacted me a lot. Um, I can talk about Katie Hopkins and, mm-hmm. and, and my steps towards her is that I never had, never had an argument with her or anything. She was very nice to me and she's a very, um, very, very nice person to, mm-hmm. to just, yeah, yeah, to just, you know, talk to and have coffee or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, what she started doing is that she wanted to see victims, and, and I think there are two things. First of all, she started realizing that we don't necessarily fit in with the agenda she's trying to promote, and, and so she kind of gave everyone a cold shoulder and started doing her own thing, which is, which is good. And, and then on top of that, I, I, I started getting the feeling that, you know, Every time before she would meet with a farm attack victim, the night before she would cancel or try and postpone. And these victims were preparing themselves psychologically to to have these encounters and share their stories. And the next moment, someone cancels. So by the third or fourth time I asked her, I said, listen, um, I think we're going to cancel all of them. Uh, we can't we can't disappoint these people even further. And uh, and and yeah, so that was my impression of it. Mm. Lauren Southern, when we come back to her. Unfortunately, uh, a, uh, a lot of the things that she has said or, or mentioned is, is completely uh, sen- sensational. Some of the statistics that she gives are way off. Uh, the the figures that they uh, you know share with the world regarding the amount of people that have been killed or murdered, oh, the same thing, have been murdered or attacked, is way off. And and I don't know where they get these figures from. So um, you know, my sense on on a lot of these things is. That perhaps uh, it's difficult and we should try not to um, sort of 
say too much about other people's motives if we don't know. But I think that you can sort of gleam a little bit from how they behave and, and what they do. So, for example, Lauren Southern releases farmlands and um, also at the same time wants you to kind of follow her and donate and et cetera, et cetera. And I think um, she is kind of an issue journalist, so she follows the issues. Sometimes she does a good job. Sometimes she could do better. Um, but certainly when you're doing that, you've, 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 you've got to put, you've got to try present as best as you po- possible, I suppose, to, to an audience. And, and, mm. and when you're presenting to an audience, the same as CNN, when they present to an audience, you know, when they're standing in a hurricane, they're going to pretend that the hurricane's blowing them over while two guys walk in the background, uh, you know, with no problem carrying a six pack to their, to their truck. So, um, I, I, I think that that's where the sensationalism comes in because if it's not almost entertainment and you're not kind of proving the worst case scenario, uh, then I'd rather watch about the uh, the other genocide happening in 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 somewhere else, or, or the other issue journalist doing a story on, sure. on something worse. For sure. Yeah. Hazard, the moral hazard question I asked uh, Adams when he was here. At the moral hazard for every forum is that uh, expropriation of that compensation is a big issue for, to fight against, and but and it's very popular with your members, and you keep getting a lot of new members. And my question to him at the time was, when do you become populist on the opposition to it instead of factual and strategic? And I think these, Katie Hopkins, Lawrence said they've become very populist on the agenda and are, are skimming you know, over the facts. or, or th- What they're not telling is more important than what they are telling, if that makes sense. Uh, and I think for every forum, I think moral hazard might still appear. Uh, sooner or later, for all of us, for all of us, we, I mean, uh, our, our podcast with France and Adam Stand, and when you speak about expropriation, we get like record, record downloads. Uh, so it's a moral hazard for us as well. But as long as we're honest and truthful about it, that's but you, you what know, we do. But you know, Katie Hopkins and a Lauren Southern that, that say things in sweeping statements and generalize about things or just act sensational. So it sounds like I'm almost victimizing them now, but just as an example, are doing one and the same thing as some of the journalists here when they say that Afri Forum is a is a you know what was today uh, uh, apartheid modern nationalist organization you know that type of uh, I was just astounded to see this. So they're doing one and the same thing; it's mm. just a different agenda. But That's the two true. are actually just giving each other more ammo to fire up their own agendas. And the people in the middle, the balanced, you know, type of person is just watching this tennis game going on and shots being fired towards each other. And we empower that, that centrist to become not militant, but like to fight. Like I, I was on, sorry, I was on Ronaldo Hosa's live stream a few months ago, weeks ago. And I said, listen, chaps, expropriation compensation is, is our Rubicon. If this goes through, we are screwed as a country. We're going to be Venezuelan five years. That's easy. Uh, people are fighting against it. Afri Forum, Institute of Relations. Uh, we are some people in the DA. Like you have to fight for for your rights in a democracy. Be a Democrat. Fight for your rights. Don't be afraid to actually stand up for your rights. Um, and and if you bully the ANC, they're going to fall over. But you need to stand up and do it. And and I don't know. How do you think as Afri Forum you can actually get people to understand that that they're not just 
slaves or they're not just serfs. They are active citizens and they should actually be active. I think it's uh, having people take off the, um, you know, the, the covers off their eyes to realize that they can actually do something. You know, we've realized that with, with neighborhood watches and farm watches in the country, a lot of people didn't realize, wow, I am actually allowed to perform an arrest. I must just understand how to do it and how to, you know, decrease my risk and that I do have the support to get through this. And once we did that, we see these organizations or ground level groups skyrocketing in growth so it's important that people know that there are ways to do it i think the challenge that we have at the moment is the wheels in south africa are coming off very quickly and in order to get to the different issues on time and and you know have some form of legitimate resistance is very difficult and then you still have the political arguments of of who has what agenda so that that makes it tough uh what i've realized is that we must never uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe someone can prove me wrong. And I, I believe it's been different in other countries. But in South Africa, what I've found is that it's always a, a, a smaller group that, that eventually really do influence the, the, you know, the, the actual decision that is made. We Absolutely. saw with Pretoria's name change, you know, the one meeting I, I attended, there were about 700 ANC members and we were 10 guys from Afri Forum sitting there. And at the end, they were spitting at us and shouting and swearing and whatever. And um, what we did is across the city, we organized buses to go to these meetings, and we ended up filling up the last meetings completely where Afri Forum members ended up being the majority in some of the meetings, and they'd never changed the name. Yeah. Uh, you so, use the tactics against you, them. You, yeah. you, you know, the way the way I've started to, to look at it is um, a lot of people, maybe ostrich in the sand is one, one way, but if you think of a, a road – and on the left-hand side, there's a you know, pavement sidewalk, and you know that's the people on the left. And on the right-hand side, another pavement or sidewalk, and that's the people on the right. And in the middle, uh, are it depends on, on how politically active your community is. So, obviously, your pavement increases on either side the more politically involved the populace is. But in South Africa, we almost have. Uh, this pavement or sidewalk on either side and a highway, six lane highway in the middle of it. And the rest of the country, so we're on the ones, one or the other side. The rest of the country's standing in the middle of this highway, but they don't know they're on a highway. They have no idea there, there are cars and trucks coming for them. And, um, I've, I've, I've had discussions with people quite recently. One who said, ah, why do you care about all this stuff? It doesn't matter. So that's someone who's literally like he knows he's on a road, but he's kind of just turned his back to traffic. And if it hits him, he'll deal things, with it yeah. then, right? And then someone else who, I, you know, I recently sat down with and said, you think the world's getting better or worse? And they, they said, no, definitely worse. And I said, all right, well, let's look at poverty, you know, um, extreme poverty. You know, we can look at many stats, but extreme poverty is one. I think it's worse or better or the same than it was, say, 30 years ago. Um, and, and they said, no, way worse. And I said, well, actually, it's, it's, it's way better. Um, it's, it's, it's more than halved. <laughs> and, um, and they were like, no, I don't believe it. That was, it was the, and I was like, no, it's not about belief. This isn't a belief this thing. Is factual. I will give you the data. Like, I'll just give you the data. No, the data must be wrong, they said to me. So, you know, those are the people standing on the road who can see the cars coming, but they're saying, I'm not on a road. I, this, that's not a car. That's a mirage. And I'm actually, you know, I'm standing in my garden. I, there's no way I'm going to get it's hit. It's that by Winston that. Churchill Hitler um, argument. You know, he says he's going to kill people <laughs> and then you say, 
that's not what he meant. Peter de Toy Ramaphosa, you know, there are no farm attacks in South Africa just after four people had been slaughtered sure. inside a house. Sure. And then Peter de Toy comes and says, sorry, it was out of context. That's not really what he meant. And I'm like, listen, China. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another issue is that people just don't understand the National Democratic Revolution. Every forum does, IR does, we do. I don't know if Helen Zinner does now. But what it does and what they've been very good at doing is, is isolating sectors and then just hammering them. So they hammer the mining sector. The mining sector pushes back, but only in the mining sector. They hammer EWC, the farmers push back, and they, but the farmers only deal within that paradigm created by the ANC. Yeah. They don't see the, the threat, the golden thread of the NDR going throughout all of these policies and all of this mm. ideology. You slowly destroy each industry or yeah. get it in line with your beliefs. Indeed. And, and I find that there's a, uh, there's a disjunction between the different Sectors and institutions actually just coming together against the NDR. It's, it's as a boiling just, frog principle, you know. Yeah. It's just slowly but surely the frog is dying, but he's not really feeling it. So, and that's another reason why I think the balanced individual doesn't always realize how important it is that they act because I don't think they always realize how bad things have gotten. Yeah, and they're going to get much worse unless we act. But Ian, it's bloody well seven o'clock on a Friday night. And yes, I know for myself. I have a wife. Do you? Or two. News. Maybe. <laughs> a whole harem of wives. A whole harem. It's, it's my Arab culture. <laughs> um, and I think, Ian, you married. And Jonathan, you married. So I think we should get back to our wives, to Netflix and chill. Uh-huh. Um, I should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we can discuss that off air. We'll create a new podcast about how, yeah, to, how we can, to deal with it. Man's Man podcast. <laughs> Dr. Love. Right. Oh, goodness. Dr. Love. I think we should call it there while we, we're, we're going straight off course here. Ian, what an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you. Um, it's been really helpful. I, I think that you are doing a great service uh, for this country, Apple Forum, and you specifically as well. And uh, it's good to know that you know that people like you are there. For the record, I'm not a member of Apple Forum. They don't accept Jews, so Jonathan's not a member. <laughs> of course, they don't. no worry. I wasn't one either until recently. So, <laughs> oh really? Even yeah. though you work for them? Yeah, I didn't ever realize. So, but yeah, thank you very much. It's awesome chatting. Yeah, no, and and um, so, if people want to want to assist or join, I suppose they're just going to AfriForum.ca.za. Yeah, AfriForum.ca.za, and if they want to follow Farm Attacks, um, um, I try to to update as regularly as possible. I've also got a team that assists with that. Um, is uh, is Ian Cameron twenty three on Twitter, and if yeah. they follow that, then we can um, we can we can chat, and I can also maybe if they've got an inquiry, also answer that for them. Cool, Perfect. that's that's excellent. And uh, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, thank you for listening, and uh, please go uh, have a look at our catalogue of episodes. Well, over a hundred uh, shows you can possibly download with. Uh, Interesting people from all different uh, viewpoints. Yeah, and importantly, you'll notice there's no adverts on the show, and I think we actually prefer it that way. Uh, so we are crowdfunded by listeners. <clears throat> uh, we are on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash renegade report. Uh, support us financially. Uh, you know, you use the power of your money to, to change the battle of ideas in this country, and uh, we will fight on your behalf with absolute pleasure. Yeah. We've been doing so for two and a half years for no pay, by the way, and we don't expect to be paid. But it'll be good to get donations so we can make the podcast better. We're hoping to get video soon. We're hoping to get a roaming mic so we can actually travel in the country and interview people on the ground for the series that we have planned. So if you like us, you like this sort of conversation, please help us out on patreon.com forward slash renegade report. 
And just for the month of October, last little bit of ad stuff is uh, we're running a T-shirt competition. Uh, you can win $200 uh, and there's a total of about $350 in prize money. Uh, basically, we just want a design of a cool T-shirt. So ask me about my feminist agenda, for example. That would look quite funny on me. Um, if you have a shirt like that, if you have any kind of idea for a shirt that's a funny social political commentary um, or just top kick, uh, that would be great. And, uh, yeah, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report, Ramon at Roman Kavanagh, myself at Jonathan underscore wit, the Facebook pages as well. If you're using iTunes or the Google Play Store, please like us and leave us a review. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.